Welcome to Mocktails and Masterpieces with the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. Today's episode is sponsored by Anthony Team Realty. Greetings ICO fans, Matthew Kramer here with another Mocktails and Masterpieces. We're gearing up for our beloved annual silent film production. And I'm delighted to be joined by composer Richard Einhorn, who has scored oratorio entitled Voices of Light, inspired by the Cara Dreyer film from 1928, The Passion of Jonah Arc, which we will be presenting. Great to see you, Richard. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. This is considered by so many critics to be one of the most important films from the silent film era, but of films in general. It had a, a remarkable impact on filmmakers for generations to come and movie lovers. I read that you had a very unique experience uh, watching this film for the very first time. It seems like it struck you deeply. Oh, it, it was amazing. And um, uh, what I can say is that I, I hadn't heard of the film, even though I'm a film buff and even a silent film buff, I hadn't heard of the film beforehand. I was in the Museum of uh, Modern Art uh, Film Archives researching an entirely different project when I saw a um, note in the catalog that there was a film about Joan of Arc um, and that it was considered to be a masterpiece. And um, a friend of mine had said, Joan of Arc is really your subject. Joan of Arc is somebody that you should really do a piece about. So um, just out of curiosity, I, I asked if I could see it, and I simply couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't believe how great this film was. Um, it looks like no other silent film I've ever seen. Um, there's no, you, Nobody's wearing makeup, and the acting is very naturalistic, and it's all done in close-ups. And the story and the acting is just extraordinary. And I, I was just overwhelmed. And I left the museum and I dropped the other project that I was doing. And I said, that's it. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to do something, you know, something inspired by this film. And by the time I got to the subway, I had the basic plan of what I wanted to do musically completely mapped out. I knew that it would have voices, you know, I knew it would be a large piece and I knew it would be, I knew what the voices would sing. And so, uh, you know, then the hard part happened, which was convincing everybody that I wasn't completely <laughs> crazy. And uh, that took a while. But you completed this project in a very quick succession, three and a half months, as I understand it. and. You know, for a, a work that's almost 90 minutes long, I mean, it's just wall to wall music. You know, yeah. we do, as orchestras do so often, uh, these John Williams scores or Danny Elfman scores, but an orchestra on a soundtrack is not playing consecutively for two hours. There are many places with breaks. So to come up with this amount of music so quickly, it, you must have been inspired, is all I can imagine. I would love to talk to you about, you know, your selection here as a composer, you know, watching this film. Uh, knowing that it could be a standalone oratorio on its own, I mean, obviously had to have that kind of uh, that concept from the beginning, but your selection of instruments, your selection of voice, and specifically the text, I would love for you to talk about those decisions that you made. Sure. The The first decision that I made was um, was about the text. Now, the movie is um, set during Joan of Arc's trial, and um, the trial transcript from uh, 14, 1431 still exists, um, and uh, Joan of Arc is just unbelievably brave during this trial. She's on trial for her life, and um, uh, basically, Dreyer had used the 
the transcript of the trial as the as the script for his film. So I knew immediately that I couldn't use that. So now the question then came, what should I use? And um, I decided that that would be that it had to be um, texts by medieval female mystics from Joan of Arc's time or before. And the idea was to kind of like um, um, immerse Joan in in women's spirituality of that time to really kind of like create an idea of where she was coming from and what other voices were besides Joan's at that time and prior to that that kind of influenced her her own own um, uh, religiosity and also the religiosity of the period. So I didn't even know if there were any uh, female um, mystics who had uh, who had whose texts were extant. So I went to a Catholic bookstore and sure enough, there was a whole section and I bought basically about half the section and I started to read them and they were just amazing. I mean, you know, again, this is, you know, it was like just like with the movie, I was under I was uncovering masterpieces that I never even knew about. Um, the writings of Hildegard von Bingen, for example. Uh, at that time, she was almost completely unknown when I was doing this. And I learned that she was a great composer and a great um, diplomat. And, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, she was basically a polymath. And she, she's as important as Dante, but she had been basically forgotten by history. So part of the project became bringing these voices um, to um, to this. And then once I started to read and get all the, all the, uh, get a sense of what the texts were, I started to organize them based on movements, um, based on movements that I wanted to do based on scenes within the film. So the, and themes from Joan of Arc's life, the theme of fire, the theme of imprisonment, the theme of, um, of, of, of women's spirituality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to organize everything and then started to place them within, within scenes. And that's about as close as I got to the movie. I had the timings of each scene and basically worked within each scene, but I didn't try to fit directly to the film what the texts were. I just simply, I just simply wrote what I wanted. And, um, I took a trip to France uh, to do research, and by the by the time I got back, um, you know, I started in September to write. But by the time I got back, I really knew, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted because I had done so much prior research and uh, thought and contemplating about Joan and speaking to people about Joan of Arc and just basically becoming immersed in her world. It was it really was a joy from beginning to end. You know. I love the way that your music connects with the film because there is a great deal of freedom in there in the sense that it doesn't feel like it's tethered to the film from beginning to, to end. You know, as I mentioned, modern uh, films or even uh, with, with Hitchcock and, um, uh, you know, the cycle I'm thinking, for example, even then there's a, a clock that you have to follow in order to get through the score or, you know, later films, click track and streamers and bar counters, et cetera. But you were just describing here that, again, you're writing the piece as you hear it in your mind, not specifically attached to, you know, a click that goes along in the film, which gives it a great deal of atmosphere and fluidity, I find. And also the, the rest of the instruments in the orchestra. You don't have a heavy brass section, woodwind, strings, oboes and flutes. 
Yeah. What was the reason for that? Yeah, well, that that had to do with the um, original uh, per, um, uh, performance. The 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 um, I knew that I had to have voices in there, and I knew basically what the voices were going to sing. But um, it was quite a while until I was able to find I, until I was able to find somebody, find a group that was interested in putting it together. And the group that that did that was the Northampton Arts Council in Northampton, Massachusetts, which was run by an amazing guy named Bob Silman. And um, Bob knew the movie. He understood immediately what I wanted to do with it. And he said, just go for it. And oh, by the way, there's this terrific uh, Baroque uh, uh, orchestra in the area, the Arcadia Chamber Players. Would you be interested in working with them? And I said, of course. And so uh, we had, um, a, you know, uh they had excellent strings and they had at, at the at and they had excellent um uh flute and oboe and i knew i wanted to keep it compact so i kept it to that group and in addition to that they had a virtuoso gamba player and a virtuoso violin player in the in the principal cello and principal violin sections so i ended up writing um solos for each one of them as well in order to highlight them as well and that's basically how how the um the uh you know it came together it was it was it was a it was a function of the fact that i'm always very practical that's my training both you know as, as a composer i've written a lot of film scores i've also produced a lot of music uh a lot of recordings so uh always i was thinking in terms of practicality and this was a practical and also elegant solution in the sense that it was a baroque orchestra and with instruments that were quite ancient in it so it just worked out very nicely. And since that premiere now, Washington Symphony, London Symphony, Baltimore Symphony, it's been performed everywhere to amazing acclaim. We're going to play now an excerpt of The Passion of Joan of Arc, The Voices of Light Oratorio, uh, the, the film that inspired your work here. But this is your music, uh, Richard, and uh, here's a brief excerpt of Voices of Light. <laughs> Thank you. 
Richard, we're looking so forward to this. Uh, this this film, uh, I think very similar to you, I was not really aware of. I, I had heard of it and I've considered myself to be a film buff, uh, certainly from this era, because we do perform so many of these films. But this is one of those works that really did have an impact, I think, on filmmakers afterwards. And your score is beautiful, atmospheric. There's one effect that I love so much of this. It's called the Joan Bell effect. And you're very specific in the score about this effect. It's not just some chimes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I did I did a lot of research on Joan. And one of the things that I uncovered was that when she was on the march uh, in with her army, she often wanted to get in touch with her voices. And the only way she could really do that was to hear church bells being rung. So um, I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was a wonderful detail that I'd never heard before. So once you once you learn that if you're the kind of composer I am, then you book a, you book a flight to France, you go to Joan of Arc's hometown and you record the church bell from her church, which is actually still standing. And that is what rings out in the piece. Uh, we have a digital sampler, it's loaded into the sampler, but the sound is the actual sound that I recorded when, uh, when I was in Domremy, which is where she was born, uh, standing literally outside her church in the middle of the street recording the bell. And uh, that was a way of bringing Joan as close as I possibly could to the piece. Joan also has um, letters. Um, she wrote letters uh, for various reasons. They, she was illiterate, but she um, dictated them. And those letters have been transcribed, and they also um, form a certain very special uh, ensemble within the piece. So everywhere I could look, I was trying as much as possible to um, be faithful to Joan, faithful, of course, to Dreyer's great film, and also faithful to, you know, what I wanted to do in terms of the music, which is influenced by um, medieval and Renaissance music, but but the closer you listen to it, the more you realize that's not what it is. And yeah. it has a kind of, it floats outside of time. And that was very, very intentional. I think that's very well said because there are moments where you do feel like you're transported back to the 15th century. You start uh, your music before the film even begins with uh, Gregorian chant, with the, uh, with the uh, voices of Joan, as you describe it. And then uh, the emotional... Uh, twists and turns that you take us on through this journey are really absolutely remarkable. Uh, you were just describing some of your experiences, not only as a composer in, in film, uh, PBS, numerous PBS documentaries, music for concert hall, but your work in producing. You produced one of my favorite albums uh, ever, the Yo-Yo Ma uh, Bach cello solo, uh, solo cello suites. Could you tell us just briefly about your work as a producer uh, yeah. and, and the numerous accolades that you have, you've acquired in your career? Well, what what um, after I graduated, I've always thought of myself as a composer first. Um, but when I was a kid, I was really um, interested in electronic music, and I studied. Um, uh, I was doing pieces in high school um, uh, with a multimedia group that we formed. This is back in '67, '68, and. Um, so by the time I graduated high school, I had a very, very good uh, knowledge of contemporary music and also a very good knowledge of how to record and how to splice and edit tape and do all those sorts of things. So um, I was looking around for a job after I graduated college and uh, the um, 
Somebody introduced me to um, the record produ a record producer at at CBS and um, Masterworks, and he was the record producer for um, Glenn Gould. And he, after a few months of interviews, he hired me, and uh, I produced record. I've produced around thirty records for CBS. I've also produced a record with Meredith Monk. I've done um, something also with Catalyst Quartet and some other things as well. And uh, basically, that that was an important way for me a to learn to earn a living. It was also a great way for me to learn what musicians are really capable of when they're at their at the top of their their profession. I mean, uh, you know, the, the doing uh, Yo-Yo's um, recording of the box suites. It was just extraordinary, one take after the other after the other. Nearly no perfect. Um, the only real difference between them being very very subtle nuances of interpretation, and then learning from Yo-Yo what he preferred, what he didn't in terms of in terms of things. It's just an extraordinary education. And um, yeah, so I produced um, several several of uh, Yo-Yo's earliest records. I worked with uh, Murray Pariah. I worked on the signing of Philip Glass to uh, Masterworks for the first time. I was part of that team. And um, we and then once I once I had um, done virtually everything I had wanted to do there, I quit. Um, and I quit because I really a I was overworked and uh, I was working as a composer full time and working as a record producer full time. But also, I never thought of myself as anything other than a composer. And basically, that's what I've been doing ever since. And uh, uh, some years are easier than others, but uh, that's that that's what I signed up for, and I'm, and I certainly accept it. Well, Richard Einhorn, it has been a pleasure to spend some time with you talking about your work, Voices of Light, which we are thrilled to screen along with the film Passion of Joan of Arc uh, for our annual uh, silent movie slot. Richard, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to performing your work in a very short period. My pleasure. It's been really a joy to speak with you, and thanks for performing my music. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone.